You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and guest hosting today is Arthur Briggs. We're joined again by Dave. To hear the first and second parts of Dave's story, please go back and listen now to our previous episodes. All right. Welcome back, Art. Welcome back, Dave. Um, Yeah, so... Tell us a little bit about um, your experience, I guess, coming home. Um, hopefully no spiders jumped in your bag and traveled with you. No, they, uh, the Air Force does a uh, security check on everything. No sand, no nothing that you're not supposed to bring over. They check through everything. And uh, one of the other things they're checking for is insects and anything that would jump on on your bag <laughs> but uh you know coming home the three different times was uh that i deployed each time was different uh you know obviously the first one from iraq i was on edge all the time you know because still watching over my back i remember when i got back i was single at that time i got back and i was staying with my sister and i could actually literally on edge I was sleeping on her couch and she lived on the second floor and I could hear a cat walking outside along the building, you know, so you're always listening, you know, I got back and, you know, it was harder the first time to reintegrate uh, with family, friends, and, you know, I didn't have a job. I was uh, unemployed uh, when I got, when I got activated to go full time. I just lost my job like two weeks before I got activated. So it actually worked out that I didn't have a job. And, but when I got back, I, uh, you know, stayed with my sister for a little bit until I got my own place. And, you know, obviously I talked to my kids and, and things like that. And until I got my place, I didn't have them staying with me cause I didn't have the room, but I, you know, I, work through things on my own because it wasn't the help uh, out there like they did on my second and third deployment. When I got back uh, from Kuwait in 2011, I was remarried at that time and uh, I had a lot of friends and family. We had, you know, there was a lot of information div- given out by the VA, by the Army, uh, the Army National Guard, by the Yellow Ribbon. And it made it a lot easier, you know, to, uh, talk to people to, you know, if you needed help, there's all kinds of resources available. And, you know, I got back and my ex-wife, my second, uh, wife and, uh, I, we threw a, we had a huge party. I had probably almost 200 people at my house with, a lot of friends that I deployed with, their family, their kids came over. We had a uh, 
a local band come out and donated his time for us to, uh, you know, just to be there to have uh, some music going on while I had the party. And then my third deployment, I got back and that's when I uh, found out I was going to get divorced again. And, you know, it, it was harder, but I've learned, you know, I'm older. I'm, I learned, you know, hey, if I need help, I can go talk to somebody. In the time, you know, I've actually learned a lot over the last 20 years from the military being deployed and, you know, just life events. You know, I'm not sure exactly what else you want to talk about, you know, but I'm, I'm an open... I'm an open book. I have, you know, nothing to hide. If you, you know, if you want to ask questions. <laughs> David, I, I would like to take you back to your first deployment and it's 2005. Yep. You spent over a year in the sandbox and it it's scorching hot all the time. And you, you probably degress to Kuwait and you're you've turned in your gear and you're about ready to, to fly uh, back to the promised land, the good old United States of America. Can you let everybody uh, in on what it's like to uh, a succeed at a mission, b uh, you know remove yourself from a live weapon, and the and and the constant perceived danger, and then you know c would be what it's like when you land and I'm sure you came in through peace in uh, the great city of Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Uh, tell me and, and everybody else that's listening, what those three things are like, if you could do that for us. Uh, knowing that we we're leaving, it was a, a little relief off the shoulder going through the process in Kuwait, getting on the plane. We, uh, we landed in Germany to refuel again. Actually, no, it was Prague, the Czech Republic. Uh, and then we landed in Bangor, Maine to refuel a second time. And then we actually, my first deployment, we went right down back to Fort Dix, New Jersey, flew into New Jersey. But once we touched down in Maine, they had the, uh, they have uh, some older folks, older retired uh, military, older retired people that come in there. Uh, they're called the Peace Greeters. And they welcomed us all back to United States, gave us a little flag and uh, some snacks there, which was, you know, everyone was all, you know, basically wanted to nail down and kiss the ground, you know, relieved that they were, we were not in a danger zone anymore. Uh, yeah, so it was it was a re, a big relief, you know, on on a lot of people. But we flew back on, like I said, a big jet. Uh, I think it was Delta, but it could have been one of the others. It was just the all the uh, stewardess that were on there all welcomed us back. You know, they were all happy to be doing that uh, mission for the military to fly us in and out, but. Like I said, the first deployment, we had the peace greeters up in Maine, but other than that, we didn't have a lot of, uh, we didn't have family or friends there, so it made yeah, it what, a what a bummer! You, you're up in Bangor, then you have to go to Fort Dix. What did you have to do at Fort yep. Dix, and when did you get home to New Hampshire? It was they call they call it a demob. Uh, 
And my first deployment, it was only like a week that we stayed at down in Fort Dix. And then they bust us from Fort Dix up to New Hampshire. And I, I remember we got to the Manchester Armory and uh, we came in the back door and there was all the family, friends. Uh, the, we had a state police uh, escort pretty much the whole way, which was uh, pretty cool seeing that we're being escorted. And we get off the bus, they, the buses would pull in, it's all chatted bus, we'd pull in, we'd walk off the bus and, you know, basically families were running up. So the excitement was there, you know, and, but also people were scared at the same time because I haven't seen family and friends for a long time. You know, the same thing happened with uh, Kuwait and UAE. You know, we, we didn't fly straight to New Hampshire. We, we had to go to the DMOB site. So when we left uh, Kuwait, we went from, uh, Wisconsin to Bangor and Bangor over, we landed somewhere. I think it might've been Ireland and then to Kuwait. And then UAE was pretty much the same thing. But the, when we got back from UAE, we flew from UAE to Germany, to Bangor, to Texas, because that's where our MOB site was. And we spend anywhere from two weeks to a month down there and they do debriefing. And that's where the military stuffed their game up. So when you're coming back from a deployment, if you have any injuries or if you have any mental uh, issues you want to talk about, financing, uh, health insurance, you know, they they go through a whole process of teaching you different things on reintegrating you back into the system. And then we had a the Yellow Ribbon program the uh, first month we had to do our drill weekend. Nice. So each each deployment got better coming home. That's that's so good to hear, uh, especially as somebody that we as as an organization that cares so much about veterans that we've been continuously progressing. When you say MOB site, I'm assuming you mean mobilization site. Yep, mo- mobilization site. Uh, so before we go somewhere, we go down there. They train us on whatever our mission's going to be, and then when we get back, they demob us. So we do paperwork for. You know, like I said, finance, medical, uh, dental, they'll, they'll do a full dental x-ray. And if you have issues, they'll fix it right then and there. And I can't, I they, can't imagine, David, I can't imagine what it's like to come back from being away from home, family, friends for that long and then be separated by states and not able to just go home. How frustrating is that? It is. It is, but, you know, the families, as the deployments went on, the families realized and, uh, you know, we had our cell phones. Like my last deployment, I mobbed and demobbed out of Texas. I had my regular cell phone on me, you know. I shut it off or suspended it uh, while I was overseas, and then I had it turned back on the day I knew I was coming back as an as an officer, I knew ahead of time what day I was flying back. Uh, as you work up you're in the ranks, you get more information. You know, obviously, we're not going to tell every Joe uh, the exact day, time, and all that when we're getting back, you know, because then it'd be all over the media. And we, they don't want that. We don't want that, you know, as the organization. 
and they'll tell them when it's time appropriate. And yeah, that makes so, sense. But I, yeah, I, as an officer, I knew when we were coming back. So I went on the computer and I activated my phone. You know, so when I landed in Bangor, I could call home. Or when I landed in Texas, I could call home and say, yep, we just landed, you know. And, yeah, yeah, there were some people that wanted their family there that knew, you know, they're flying. When we landed in Ireland for the refuel, people tried calling home and saying, hey, we're flying home now, you know. But they didn't know what time they're getting into, you know, either Bangor or uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. You know, right. so I had my phone and, you know, I, I had it turned on and I called and I said, Hey, I'm back in the States and, you know, kind of talked a little bit, but didn't say, you know, didn't give any other information out. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, you mentioned in your own story, but then you mentioned that again, we were talking about returning. You said, uh, people were scared, um, of, of returning yeah. to their, their friends and family. Like, uh, can you share for everybody's betterment like that's a real thing you're coming out of a war zone you're coming out of being shot at you're coming out of ieds mortars uh wearing battle rattle having active live rounds chambered and carrying your weapon everywhere you go and there's fear that's inside of an individual as they're getting ready to reunite with their family so the the fear when I talk about the fear it's you know you've been away from that person for a year eight months nine months a year however long your mob demob and your time in the sandboxes so the fear is reintegrating with them who is this person what are they doing you know they've changed well while you've been a gone you've changed you know personally and. You know, are they they going to like what I do? Uh, am I going to like what they do? You know, you're married, you know, you slept on the right side of the bed and she's been sleeping on that side because she, you know, wanted to smell your pillow or whatever. Uh, and you get back and she's sleeping on that side of the bed. And, you know, what do you do? You know, hey, that's my side and start an argument. No, you don't want that. You don't want to. The fear is you don't want to, uh, you know, cause any miscontent, you know, are the kids going to recognize me? Uh, you know, that's some of the other fears that you have. Uh, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest fears was, you know, dr over there in Iraq, driving around the Humvees, we, we were very defensive. You see stuff on the side of the highway and we'd swerve out of the way. What are they going to think? The police going to think. When we get back, that's the fear, you know, get pulled over for swerving because you saw something on the highway, you know, on the side of the highway. When for us over in Iraq, it could be an IED. You know, so the fear is just what's going to happen while you're, while you're reintegrating. That's what I'm talking about, the fear. Yeah, no, I know it makes complete sense. I, I knew I knew what you were talking about. I just wanted to hear it from you. Yep. And for the people listening, IED is improvised explosive device. And it can be anything from a, a patchwork in the road to a piece of trash to something behind the guardrail that's that looks like it belongs there. So when uh, David's talking about swerving for a piece of trash, 
uh, what would happen is IEDs would be hidden in trash heaps or even look like a single piece of trash, but it's really an IED. Uh, and, and it could look like nothing at all, too. So it's just a constant fear. So as he's talking yeah. about driving down the road and seeing something and swerving, it's a common practice. In fact, um, mostly uh, the, the convoys would drive even in the center of the road were applicable to stay away from hazards on the side of the road, such as IEDs. So, yeah, good point, David. Exactly. What exactly. about... What about you for your children? You have three kids, and uh, how hard was it to reintegrate? Did you face any challenges that you want to share? You don't have to share, but that's got to be uh, pretty pretty crazy to reintegrate with three, not one, not two, but three children. My first deployment, it was harder to reintegrate because they were still in school. They, I missed a lot of things. Uh, you know, they've changed, you know. Personally, they've changed and, you know, their looks have changed. Obviously, my looks changed some. You know, I lost each deployment. I lost at least 20 pounds each deployment, you know, and it's uh, because I was in a hot area sweating all the time. But, uh, yeah, it's my second deployment was easier because I had a computer uh, to talk to. I had uh, we did face to uh FaceTime or uh, actually it was Skype at that one. And my last deployment was uh, FaceTime. You know, I had a phone over there and I did FaceTime with them. And my third deployment, I had a grandson that was a couple years old and I got to FaceTime him. So he knew who I was uh, all the time. And the other thing they did over there was uh, the USO uh, had a tent that we used to, uh, they had games in there, computers in there, and the USO had books, and they'd videotape you reading the book. they send this little desk home with the book, and they'd mail it out for free. And I read a bunch of books from my grandson, so we heard my voice, and he could flip the pages, and, you know, while I'm reading it, he could be flipping the pages and listening to me at the same time. And that actually helped him out, my grandson, to, you know, be able to read faster and understand words more. Uh, because it's not just my daughter, uh, you know, reading to him. It was me and, you know, seeing him on FaceTime or Skype. So each each deployment got a little easier. Yeah, I think the program you're talking about is United Through Reading. It was put on by the yeah. USO. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. What a, what a great initiative to be able to interact with your kids and uh, a normal task, like reading them a, a story at bedtime, you get to do uh, virtually and they get to engage with not their actual father or mother, but they get to see it and normalize the voice and that you're a part of their, their daily rhythm. So that's a really neat. Thing. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. That's that's really awesome. Thanks for sharing. Uh, what about with uh, your? You have a, a a different story. You have a couple of different spouses. How hard was it to reintegrate with uh, your partner? If you don't mind me asking that. Uh, well, the first, I wasn't. Uh, I was divorced at the time with my first deployment. So coming back, it was just reintegrating with my uh, the kids. I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. Uh, my second deployment, I was married. And uh, the first deployment, uh, the second deployment, but the first one with her, when I went to Kuwait, 
it wasn't that bad. It, you know, we both changed a little and, you know, uh, but I don't, I don't think it was that bad, but the, uh, my third deployment, her second one of me being gone, you know, things changed, you know, and, you know, I'm not talking negative about her or me. It's just, you know, we grew apart. So it was harder. We got, I got back and she wanted to do certain things and I didn't want to. And, you know, so it it was definitely harder. Yeah. I mean, all three of your deployments are lengthy and people change on a weekly basis, let alone a monthly. And then you talk about a yearly. Uh, Yep. And you're talking about two different people and then add kids and social dynamics. Uh, When a service member goes away, you can go away for a year and come back and your life as you know, it can be completely different. changed around it's got to be a little bit disorienting to come back and be like hey i I expect what i left and it's not really that anymore exactly so the homeland heroes foundation has been around for at this at this the time of this recording about seven years now when did you get involved i got involved with homeland heroes when i get uh divorced from my second wife after my third deployment I gave everything in the house. She wanted, you know, most of the stuff in the house. So I got involved with Julie and the Homeland Heroes uh, when she took everything out of the house. And Julie helped me out with a bed and uh, couch and, you know, some uh, furnishings for the house until I got back on my feet. You know, and uh, I helped Julie out. Uh, by helping they have a couple fundraisers and she helped me out in a time I needed help. So I figured I want to give my, you know, hand back to her to help somebody else out. So that's why I help out with Julie. They do, you know, the furnishings, they do, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving dinners for soldiers. They do, you know, toy drives. They do, you know, a numerous things. They, a soldier or, uh, that's homeless, you know, if someone becomes homeless or a veteran, they'll help out with, uh, you know, a room to stay at a hotel room for a, a couple of nights, you know, but every situation's different, you know, but I, for the last, let's see, 2016 for, for four years, I've been helping out Julie and she helped me out. What's it, what's it like, David, to go from, you know, hey, I need a hand up and getting yourself settled, which, which I know had to have been a blessing, but now to be a part of the organization in serving and helping with fundraisers. And, and when, whenever Julie calls, I, I know she can count on you to, to help with whatever mission is a hand for Homeland Heroes. What's it like for you to be on the other side and help your fellow veterans? It it feels good to me. I've actually uh, referred a couple of people that work in my uh, in my shop where I work at, and uh, I've she helped me. So I just feel it's my obligation to help give back. Uh, I know a lot of people don't uh, do think that, but I do. It feels good knowing that I'm helping another person. 
Okay. I'm helping someone that helped me out, you know, to help some, help someone else out. You know, and Julie has called me, you know, she's called me to, they have that warehouse. I went down there with my son and a couple other people and we straightened that warehouse with the furniture and stuff out. We spent pretty much almost a day over there just straightening stuff out. She's asked me to help out doing a few things like the, the golf tournament, fundraising. Yeah, I'll go sit there. I'll go help out whatever you need me. I think you that's know, if I have the time. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, I was going to say, I think the, the best part of the Homeland Heroes is the community that um, has been brought together because of really the actions of, of Julie and um, Kim, who's the other co-founder of the, of the foundation. But um, yeah, everyone, I, you're not the first person I've talked to who's benefited from Homeland Heroes and then turned around and, and gives back in the name of Homeland Heroes. So being a volunteer for yeah. the Homeland like, I, I think that's awesome and glad to have you on the team. Thank you. You know, I just feel, you know, she's helped me and it's a good organization. You know, you could read about other organizations and, you know, yeah, they do a lot for, for veterans, but Julie doesn't ask for anything back. That's the one big thing with Julie. She doesn't ask for anything. You know, she might ask you to give her a hand. If you can give her a hand, she'll take that hand, you know, but if you can't just tell her and she, it, she doesn't think anything negative if you can't give her a hand back. She's there, you know, seven days a week. Yeah. David, I have one one last question for you from me. Uh, Sure. In the idea of serving and giving back to veterans, do you find that, uh, so there's no shortage of challenges for veterans and and today, uh, OIF, OEF veterans particularly, do you find that it's uh, something that builds you up, that, that makes your uh, mental or emotional health better to to serve or to, to have camaraderie with other veterans in the sense of uh, taking care of yourself? Like your license plate says, I got your six. Is that, Yep. do you think it's helpful for veterans to be re-engaged in helping other veterans? I do. I personally do. I, me going to do things, uh, helping Julie after I got a hand makes me feel good. Okay. And I know a couple other people that his, uh, Julie has helped that helps her back also. Uh, and you know, I know she could, I know a lot of people rely on her, you know, and I know, and she knows that she, if she ever asked me, as long as I'm not busy or I don't have something planned, she can rely on me to uh, help back. You know, it just makes me feel better. You know, and I and I believe the other soldiers and former veterans think the same way from what I hear from talking with a few of the other people that have helped out or, you know, even gotten the help from her. Right. Thanks for your answers, man. Thanks. Thanks for uh, sharing your story with me. Not a problem. All right, I got a few more questions for you, Dave, and then I'll let you go. Um, any advice you would give to someone first, someone enlisting, and then second, someone coming home? 
So someone enlisting, you know, make sure it's something that you want to do. You know, don't just do it. You know, I've heard people doing it just for the education. If that's what that's what you want and you have, then tell yourself that, okay? But you'll you'll meet people, you'll the uh, camaraderie, uh, the gathering of people. You're gonna like it. It's you know, they they're your brothers and sisters for life, okay? Someone coming home from a deployment. If there's issues, if there's problems. Ask people. Ask. There's so much help out there for for everyone. Any anyone from like Julie from the chaplain from you know this the VA the Yellow Ribbon program. There's just so many things. Just ask for the help. <clears throat> you know, don't be afraid to ask for it either. Sure, that's a really important aspect to it. Um, is there? Anything else you would like to share that we may have missed today? I don't think there is. Uh, we talked about a lot. <laughs> we did. I really, uh, you know, I'm and learning more about you. Not a problem. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to uh, to talk to people about it, and you know, help Julie out, help you guys out, get the word out to everyone. Awesome. All right. One last question for you. So it's a question that um, I think we've we've been ending just about every single episode. So it kind of seems fitting to continue with that tradition. Um, if you had to do it all over again, would you? Yes. It's made a big change in my life for the better. And I would definitely do it 100 times over. Thank you Dave, for joining us and sharing your story today. Um, yeah, from the bottom of my heart, I appreciate it. Thank you for your service. Um, Art, thanks for joining us and guest hosting today. You were great to have on, as always. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's, it's really an honor to hang out with David. Man, brother, thanks so much for what you have done for our country, and I appreciate you. Thank you. I appreciate you, too. And like you said, brother. <laughs> All right. Thank you for joining us today for the last part of Dave's story. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.